Good morning. My name is Darren. I serve uh, as pastor of Phoenixville Congregation uh, for Ironworks Church. And what I'm going to do is um, bring to you a scripture reading uh, from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. Uh, would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's take a minute and pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize, Lord, uh, that as we gather uh, all over this region uh, and perhaps other places in the world who are tuning in with us, Lord, I recognize that we come to this time, we come to this sacred day from all kinds of different places. Uh, some of us have come uh, to this time, some of us have come to this place uh, and our hearts are full. For some of us, uh, this, this quarantine is restful. Uh, we are experiencing your blessing. Our bodies are healthy. We still have jobs. But Lord, I recognize that for others of us, things couldn't be more different. Some of us come in here uh, and we are weighed down with worry. Uh, some of us are unemployed. Some of us are fearful. Others of us uh, have uh, people very close to us who are sick. Some of us have loved ones who are working on the front lines and hospitals and uh, in public service. And Lord, I recognize further that some of us come here and we do and have believed in you for some time. And yet others of us tuning in here today uh, are not sure what we think about you. We're not sure if you're real, not sure if the words that just been read are true. 
We're not sure if uh, the book that we read them from contains the answers to the questions that are most important to us right now. And Lord, I pray, therefore, that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we come to this time uh, filled with joy or weighed down with worry, whether we come here believing in you or we come here having many doubts about you, pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Give us grace to see how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here uh, just as an introduction and say that there is no more topic, there, there is no more important topic right now, nor has there ever been, than the question of what happens after you breathe your last breath. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that no matter what is worrying you right now, uh, whether you are worried about short-term uh, problems or whether you uh, are, are gravely ill or you have family that is gravely ill, nothing is more important right now than the question of what happens after you take your last breath. And I say that because whether you're joining us and you're a Christian here and you believe that when you, uh, when you draw your last breath that you will be brought to a place of everlasting joy, a place where there's no more sin or sickness or sorrow or death, or whether you're tuning in and, and your answer might be, I don't know what happens. Uh, I don't know at all. Perhaps everything simply ceases. The way that you answer that question will determine how it is you spend your lives. And if our lives are but a prelude, if, if the 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or even in some cases 100 years are but a prelude to an eternity, then what happens after we draw our last breath is of the absolute highest importance. And I've been in a season myself of uh, being particularly interested in speaking to those of you who are curious about Christian faith, who have questions about Christian faith, who are interested to learn more. You know, we just started our Christianity Explored group. And so I've been actually answering this question for some of you who have asked, you know, Darren, why are you a Christian? Why are you persuaded that Christian faith is the right faith? And I answer that in a variety of ways. I'll say that, you know, I'm persuaded by history, right? That if you go and you consider historical secular documents, that you can find significant evidence for the events recorded in the New Testament. I'll also answer and say that I have personally experienced God's power in my life. I've made bold requests in prayer repeatedly, and I've seen God provide in astounding ways. And then the last thing that I'll say typically is that you know, nothing explains this life and what we experience quite like the scriptures. And in particular, no, nothing can explain the reality of death like the scriptures. And I personally find myself, and I, I think that uh, for many of you, perhaps you find yourselves in what I call a season of death, right? For some of you, uh, your loved ones have passed. 
in our congregation in the last two weeks, we've had four church members lose an immediate family member to death. For others of you, uh, your community, your circle of friends, your time together, your going out for drinks, your praying together in small groups, for, for some of you, that experience has uh, undergone a death of sort. Others of you have lost businesses, and many of you have lost dreams. The question is, what can speak to these things most clearly and most helpfully? And my uh, experience is that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament make sense of these things more than anything else in all of human history. And what I'm going to try to do is just to give you a brief overview of the Bible's view of death, number one. Secondly, how Christ defeats death. And then thirdly, how to live in light of these things. So let's look at it together. Number one, the Bible's view of death. Well, it's stated here very clearly in our passage and that the Bible's view of death, the word that it uses is the word enemy. You know, death is not our friend. It is not natural, contrary to uh, popular belief. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller said, if you want to ask this question, is death your friend or not? He said, just hang out with a corpse for about three days. And you will see very quickly uh, that it is absolutely horrible. It is not your friend. It is absolutely your enemy. Scripture here describes it as, quote, the last enemy. And what the Bible is doing is the Bible is actually bookended. So the Bible opens in the first book of Genesis chapter 3, bringing this word death into existence. As the author says uh, to the man and the woman, that in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat of, you will surely die. And then the Bible will conclude itself in the book of Revelation, speaking of a kingdom of a city in which there is no more death, in which death is no longer. And if you're familiar with the story in Genesis 3, you know that the man and the woman hear this warning. They then proceed, both of them, to take of the fruit of this tree. And yet they live quite a long life after that. They don't simply fall down. They're not executed in the moment. They do not pass right away. And so what the Bible understands is that death is not simply a cessation of metabolic function, though it is that, but that death is something that is invading your existence right now. The death is not simply biological, but that death is wreaking havoc in your marriages, that it is harming your children, that it is annoying you with the mosquito bites that are coming, right? From an abusive marriage to a mild illness, from a debilitating disability, the assault of death rages every day with its climax being the final product. And friends, uh, I think that in, in our culture, we find ourselves in response to this reality of death that we feel that I know that you feel The primary response to this reality, from my perspective, has been the response of distraction. A philosopher, John Paul Sartre, speaking of, uh, I think that he was ultimately speaking of this phenomenon. He used a different word. He used uh, this word nausea or uh, meaninglessness or nothingness. 
And he said this, that we fill up our lives with distractions so as not to have to confront the meaninglessness of our own existence. And where we find ourselves in this particular cultural moment is that many of those distractions have become inaccessible to us. Right? Many of the ways that we have been able to distract ourselves in the past are no longer available to us. That's the first thing. The second thing is that death has not allowed us to become distracted. Um, I, I do not know anyone who has suffered greatly from COVID yet. We do. Our family has two immediate family members um, that uh, one has been confirmed positive. The other is presumed positive, although both have recovered. Um, but I do know uh, others for whom this is a very real problem, a very real reality. One of my colleagues in the presbytery has been in intensive care with COVID. His wife has COVID. Um, he has complicating uh, conditions that are making it very dangerous. I have colleagues for whom they have church members who have passed now from this. Um, I'm being asked questions by children. And so we are not able to be distracted. The strategy that many of us have employed for a long time is no longer one that is working. And so we must confront the question of death. We must look it straight in the eye. And the scriptures enable us to do that profoundly. And as we do that, what I want to look at is this question, how is it that Christ defeats death? Or what does God have to say about death? And the scriptures uh, in our passage here, what will happen is the author goes on to kind of mock death. You'll see that there at the end where he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? He's declaring victory over death. He's mocking it. He's almost making fun of it in, in a way. And he's doing so because he believes that the work of Jesus Christ has utterly cursed the existence of death forever. That Jesus Christ, through his activity on earth and his continuing activity in heaven, will one day mean that you will never attend another funeral again. That funerals will be a thing of the past, that grief will be a thing of the past, that cancer will be a thing of the past, that pandemics will be a thing of the past. And not only this, not only the final climax of death will be something in the past, but the immediate reality of it, the dysfunctional marriage, or the debilitating disability, or the bad habits, or the sins you often find yourself succumbing to, those things will one day, you will only speak of them in the past tense because of what Christ has done. And I would tell you that perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking that, you know, death can be defeated another way. Perhaps advances in medical technology can one day render viruses powerless. Perhaps they can make death a thing of the past. And perhaps you're right. Supposing you're right. You know, as I wrote this sermon, I was thinking about uh, a condition I've recently been diagnosed with. I'm losing my hearing uh, in a particularly advanced way. Uh, the ringing is getting louder. Uh, the doctor does not know what's going to happen uh, to it. There is no treatment for it. And I have been Googling my heart out, looking at all kinds of treatments that are being developed around the world. One in particular uh, in South Korea and Japan is one that holds hope for me. 
And when I look at this treatment, I have a thought that goes like this. Boy, I hope that by the time I'm 55, right, I'm 41, so that's 14 years. By the time I'm 55, I hope that this treatment works and is approved here in America. But then I have an, an another thought, which is that how many years will I be able to enjoy going through life and being able to hear my children or to not hear this loud ringing? How many years will I be able to do that? And then I start doing the math and the overwhelming feeling that comes upon me, and this is very frequent for me because I think about this a lot, the overwhelming, theory, uh, the overwhelming reality is that it's not very long. Not very long between perhaps there will be a treatment for hearing loss, but then other conditions will very likely begin to invade my own body. And so, friends, I, I'm speaking to you not, you know, not theoretically, but I'm speaking to you that this is real life for me, that this is where I have been living in recent months. I have been asking this question not as simply a pastor, which I, I have been, but I've been asking this personally for Darren, saying, Darren, how are you to think of however long you have left? And as I have thought of that, I have, my mind has gone to this teaching on the resurrection. This belief that says that this life is not all that there is. And look with me, if you would, in verse 24. Uh, passage says this. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom, speaking of Christ, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Now, when you read that, let me, let me just reiterate it again, that, that Jesus is in the process of taking kings down, right? He is defeating every rule, every authority, every power, right? From a wicked dictator to a narcissistic parent. Christ is in the process of tearing them down. And the climax of his activity is the destruction of death. He will tear down every unjust authority. He will dethrone every unjust ruler. He will deal with that abusive parent. He will deal with that unkind spouse. And the climax of his activity, the climax of the work that he's doing, will be found in the abolishment of death. Hallelujah. How will we respond to such a thing? How will we respond? Well, this passage tells us that Jesus is defeating death, that the down payment, so to speak, of his activity was found when he humbled himself, clothing himself as God himself with human flesh, with human frailty, where he comes to earth and he lives an absolutely perfect life, you see, death, as we learned in Genesis chapter 3, is the result of sin. It's the result of knowing what to do and doing the opposite, right? Jesus lives this perfect life. He lives the life we should have lived. He did all the things that I should have done and I haven't done. He was never neglectful to his neighbor. He was never unkind to a family member. He was always generous. He was always thoughtful. He was always taking other people's burdens to prayer on himself. He was never selfish. He lived this absolutely perfect life. And in response, God the Father gave him death. 
in response to all that he did that was right, he received an execution fit for a criminal. And the scriptures go on to tell us that why that happened is that he was absorbing something. That he was taking something from you. Right? If you're a Christian today, Jesus has taken something from you. Namely, your guilt and your sin. And he promises you a future resurrection. We see that in this passage that if Jesus has been resurrected, he says that the the language he uses is those who belong to Christ will also be resurrected. That it is assured, that it is guaranteed if you are in Christ. And friends, if that's true for you, whether it's been true for a long time or today, you're sitting here thinking, boy, I want this. You can have that today if you turn to Christ and say, I want, you to, I want you to be everything to me. I want to trust you. I want to love you. I want to know you. I want to be yours. He will respond to you with the words, okay, I receive you. I love you. You're mine. And when he does that, the result of these things, which is our last point, is that you have resources to look death right in the face, to not have to give yourself to distraction, to not have to pretend it doesn't exist, to not, as uh, this passage will say in another uh, part of it, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's one way of, of responding to it. You will have courage to look it right in the face and to give yourselves to Christian service. Uh, this is uh, our key verse for this point, is verse 58. This is Paul's conclusion to this teaching. This is his application to this teaching where he says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, friends, if you are a Christian, if you believe that that this life is not all there is, if you don't have to squeeze every second out of this life for yourself, right? if you don't have to live in, in fear all the time of what will happen because you believe that the best part of your life is in the life to come, then that means that you can have this word steadfast. You can be steadfast. right? You can go out to New York City and join other medical providers and say, you know what, I'm going to take a risk of my own health to care for the sick. Right? You can give of your time to your neighbors. You can give of your time to listen to others over the phone and hear their burdens and respond to them in prayer. You can take risks in relationships. You can say, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to open up and share with you who I am. Because I I don't want to live just superficial lives. I want to know you. I want to be known. And and yes, you might hurt me. Yes, you might use what I'm sharing with you against me. But I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to be courageous because I believe that I am loved deeply by Christ. And that he is making all things new. You can take a risk and invite people you care about to Christianity Explored, for example. Some of you have folks in your life that you have been praying for. Uh, but you've been afraid to broach this topic, you can broach it. You can have courage to say, you know, I believe that I'm so deeply loved that I can sort of 
be real about who I am, be real about what I believe, and then it's going to be okay. You can, in this time that that especially could become a time of great scarcity, you can decide that you're not going to hoard anything. That you can be generous with your possessions. Right? Including your toilet paper. You can do that. Right? This passage goes on to say something else, though, that I want to end on. It says, not only can you be steadfast, not only can you have these resources of courage, but that you can give yourselves to the work of the Lord. And look at this last statement. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And friends, that, that is something that absolutely astounds me and has become a br- blueprint for my life. You see, in this passage, not only does it talk about a future redemption, right, a future time and a future place where uh, you don't have to constantly be assaulted by death, not just in your bodies, but in your relationships, but also in your work, right? So many of us feel like the things that we do don't really matter, right? Whether you're building widgets or raising children, some of you feel like your work doesn't really matter. But the scriptures give so much power and so much meaning to it when it says that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That in the Lord, the things that you do can have an, act, an eternal consequence. They can matter, not just now, but unto eternity. That as you give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and you go out, whether you are caring for patients, whether you are cutting hair, whether you are changing diapers, whether you are cleaning streets, that the work you're doing will be used by God to have an eternal impact. And so you can face it without fear, that you can take pleasure in it. Because of the resurrection, if you are in Christ, your work matters.